Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this is MZ Car Guys Podcast. Absolutely. You can find us on uh, social media at MZ Car Guys. And uh, you can find us at uh, anchor.fm forward slash MZ Car Guys. And also, if you want to drop us a line, and please do, we're lonely. We want to hear from you. Uh, MZ Car Guys at gmail.com. So, Matt, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going with the Americans today. Uh, today, it's all about the uh, Big Blue Ford Motor Company. Oh my gosh! Wow, there's a lot to do here, huh? Might as well start at the beginning. Well, yeah, and 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 I think that that's a uh, a good one to do. Let just to kind of give an idea of what Ford Motor Company is. So, first off, they're the oldest. Uh, family are continuously family owned uh, automotive manufacturer in the world. So, you know, and they are the fifth largest uh, behind, of course, Toyota, Volkswagen, Hyundai, Kia, and General Motors. Um, and they have probably had more influence on the world of automotive at the very least in the United States. Um, but I, I'd almost say potentially in the world. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, we'll get into this in some detail, but everyone knows what a Ford is, right? I mean, the, the fact that Ford is, is big enough that they have a factory in Frankfurt dedicated to making Fords for the European market says a lot right there. They're a, and it's a big factory. But, you know, they make a lot of cars. They, you know, they um, are one of the largest manufacturers in Australia. A small market, I know, but still, you know, we're basically Holden versus Ford. Um, no one in the U.S. knows what a Holden is. Um, unless you're a car geek like us, you know that it's, it's a GM product under a different name. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, there's a lot. Well, I mean, you know, you can get into the engine types, right? You know, the the going back to the flathead V8 and even the early stuff. And but there's there, without skipping around too much, which I like to do. <laughs> there's, there's there's a lot to go through here. So um, basically, turn of the 20th century probably is where things start to kind of hum along. I mean, the one thing I'm going to say before Zach really gets into it, because he's he's obviously the historian of the of the pair of us is in my opinion henry ford's greatest legacy is has nothing to do with the automobile per se it's the assembly line he popularized the assembly line and changed manufacturing forever yes oh my gosh yeah absolutely i mean i mean he took so uh, technically the assembly line um and interchangeable parts and, and stuff like that was was actually originally put into uh, in, into motion with uh, with Ransom Oles and the Oldsmobile Curve Dash of like 1901. Right, and, right. But 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 Henry Ford took it to a whole new level. Uh, actually, quite literally, he was the first to kind of go. Wait a minute, we've got all of this like upper space why don't we continue, why don't we take it vertically so he was the first one to kind of sit there and and double stack assembly lines so you had two assembly lines going above you know one above the other as it was going through and so um you know because and what's what's interesting is and and, and i guess we can just start with Henry Ford himself um, is when 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 he when he started to produce things. So he had <clears throat> so Ford Motor Company was not his first automotive venture. It was technically his third, and and even it almost didn't come to fruition. Um, he started off as, um, 
he he developed a quadricycle, uh, which you can actually see uh, at um, a uh, they they have it they have it in a museum over in Michigan, um, in a uh, just a little like coal building kind of a thing, and he then try he then started, um, you know he he's uh, and that was. The Detroit Auto Company, automobile company that was founded in 1899. Uh, it kind of wavered a little bit in the 1901. It was reorganized as a Henry Ford Company, um, and then March of the of 02, which was the next year, um, he had some falling out with uh, some of his financial backers. Uh, he he left the company uh, with the rights to his name, so they had to rename the company. And of course, they renamed the company Cadillac. So, uh, which uh, I believe was the uh, was which I think it's Cadillac was one of the. It was either uh, an, uh, a Native American tribe in the uh, in the Detroit area, or it was one of the names of the uh, the Native American chiefs. But it's it's Cadillac as it's origins is native american right as as is pontiac as is pontiac absolutely which is why the early pontiacs had an indian chief's head on as a hood ornament and probably Uh, explains why their why their logo looks like a spear pointing downward there you go absolutely um anyways so yeah so he he in, in 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 1903 um, he got with uh, a man named uh, Alexander Malcolmson, um, and you know he had, you know they they created a Ford Motor Company. Um, they got several other people involved. Um, one of which, uh, actually, sorry, two of which uh, were the Dodge brothers um, to invest and so forth. And then, of course, uh, by basically by 1911, uh, everything was basically in the hands of uh, Henry Ford himself. Uh, and, and the Dodge Brothers would soon, right, right around that time, start creating Dodge Brothers uh, uh, Motor Company. And then later on, they would just become Dodge. Anyways, but yeah, I mean, it's... He, he had, you know, from 1903 to 1908 to early 1908, basically 1907, um, they had a lot of success. So everybody always thinks of the Model T as, you know, as, as their big success. But they were hugely successful even before then. I mean, they were, they were outselling, you know, they, they were outselling Buick, which was uh, the, the big, you know, at the at the turn of the century, you know, the first couple of years of the turn of the century, um, Buick was the big dealer. They, they were the big uh, American automotive manufacturer. And Ford came in uh, with their, hold on, with their, I'll make it all of these correct. Uh, it started with the A, which is kind of weird because they would later go back to the A. Um, but uh, anyways, but it, it was it was several different letters that they just went through. And then when they finally got to the Model T, the Model T is really where everything just completely turned around. To, to give you an idea, so if, a, if an automotive manufacturer, say like Honda and the Accord, so the Honda Accord, um, I think, sells around 400,000. Yeah, so, uh, so Honda Accord sells 400,000 Accords a year, roughly. So 
So four hundred thousand times twenty. Okay. So in twenty years at four at an average of four hundred thousand cars a year with new manufacturing processes, which are literally light years ahead of where Henry Ford was in 1908. Honda would produce 8 million Honda Accords, which I'd say, I, I think we can all agree, is a large number of Honda Accords, right? Oh, yeah. So that's, that's, that's a chunk. The, the, I mean, before the mid-sized end collapsed, that would be 95 to 2015, roughly. Yeah. So the Model T... Just to give you a perspective, the Model T between 1908 and 1928 would sell just shy of 17 million. And that's under a small, smaller population and with less people who could afford a car to begin with. Yeah. And a slower production rate yeah less cars per day yeah i mean goodness <laughs> wow so so okay so we we understand this is yeah I mean, the, the the car has justifiably the model t has justifiably cemented its place in in world automotive history there was something really cool though that you told me the other day um about henry ford's ability to um well, the, 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 the hip term now is upcycle, but the ability to use things that were laying around and, and make it work in, in other things that he was doing uh, with the transmission uh, shipping boxes. Oh, yeah. Well, the, um, so it's, it's one of the things that's, that's really kind of cool is, is that he was very specific about uh, the, uh, the, the, the dimensions and the shapes of, uh, of the different shipping uh, boxes that, that – the engines of transmissions were delivered in and what they would do is is they would use that wood as the building material to build the uh to to, to build the the uh the, the cab uh, not the cab the bodies of uh of the, the the wooden part of the bodies of the model t's um also so he's always getting free wood from the shipping boxes that are providing him other parts he needs anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, That's genius. I mean, I mean, at the time, I mean, you have, you know, uh, cars were, I mean, Buicks were selling at a little over $800. Um, you know, uh, you know, Buicks were selling a little over $800. Um, you know, for a car and the Model T came in um, at, hold on, I'm trying to find the price here. I'm going to guess 500. I think it was, yeah, I think it was just under 500. It was like 400 and something. Um, That's just incredible. Yeah. Well, let me... Here, here, here's, here's another aspect is just to tell you how absolutely insanely popular the Model T was. Okay. So the Model T uh, sold just shy of 17 million cars in 20 years. And, 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 and that was by 1928. The, Vol the, the Volkswagen Beetle would surpass it but not until 1972. Which is what, like 30 years worth of cars? Yeah. Roughly? Yeah. Yeah. So 50% longer to achieve the same result. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, um, but also another thing uh, that... So one of uh, one of Henry Ford's uh, engineers 
um, he was talking about the fact that because they would go through, you know, just a ton of wood, you know, making ma- making the chassis, making the bodies and stuff like that of the Model T. And so there was a lot of sawdust laying around. And um, so he had an idea. He said, hey, what can we do with all this sawdust? And so his engineer went and discovered that if he took the sawdust and he carbonized it, uh, as in burned it in a low to no oxygen environment, basically just gets rid of all of the excess uh, excess gases and stuff like that and you're left with just almost pure carbon and then you put it together with a binding material you can make it into these little charcoal briquettes uh, and of course uh, his engineer's name was Edward Kingsford as in Kingsford charcoal so you know I, I and, and I just I think that is just it, Henry Ford's ability to see through problems to find solutions and, and, and ways around stuff is, is a real testament to his, his engineering ability, um, his sharp mind, his organizational ability is off the freaking charts. Um, but there is a dark side as as most geniuses have um and henry ford's was slightly glaring he wasn't too fond of the jews he was anti-semitic uh as a matter of fact um he received um hold on just one second he received a nazi medal yeah, I was going to actually say what it was. Well, you keep working on that. Um, it's the, the, the name of the medal is something Zach's going to look up, but it's, it's the highest honor that Nazi Germany could award to a foreigner. Yeah, the Grand Which, Cross of the German Eagle. There you go. Yeah, great. Good job. Um, he was also... Uh, he was also very... It, it wasn't fun to work for Henry Ford. Um, a, uh, he was a taskmaster for the most part. Um, the other part of that was he actually wanted to create an entire society controlled by Ford. So that so that every single aspect of your life, if you worked for Ford, was essentially controlled by Ford. Um, so it, it so the the man who thought of things as in processes of development and and, and assembly line and so forth, and, and putting everything into order. Unfortunately, his brain took it a step too far and said, well, I need to do the same thing with my people. Um, and back then, um, as you know, which is the complete 180 from what it is today, back then, uh, labor was cheap and technology was expensive. Uh, whereas today, it's basically the opposite. So, so before we get get too far away with the model t because we do have to move on but um because we want to talk about pivotal decades right and rather than trying to do every bit of 40s we'll be here for three hours um, yeah pivotal decades in ford's history but the decision to use black paint on the model t was not an idea around what is the most popular color what's everybody going to agree to you know what is going to be so inoffensive that everyone will feel okay buying one it was entirely even more practical than that and the gist of it was, and please correct me on this, Zach, but the gist of it was the black paint dried faster so they could move the car off the assembly line and into the showroom or the store quicker than any other color. So that's what they went with. Yeah, well, yeah. There, so their thing was, so it was called Japanese black, which is just the name of the color. 
And back then, and, and it was only in the it was only in the early days. Uh, so there's a famous saying uh, when of, of Henry Ford's is, well, you can have a Model T in any color as long as it's black. And that's because uh, at the time, different colors had uh, different agents within it, and that affected the drawing time. And he discovered that Japanese black was the fastest drying color um, and was the only color that he could find that was able to dry um, to a, sp a particular point or whatever by the end of assembly. And so, you know, later on, they were able to kind of, you know, make different colors and stuff like that. But yeah, <laughs> that's why that's why all of the very early uh, early days of the Model Ts, they're all black. So, but I do have to say one thing, <clears throat> you know, um, one thing to, to credit Ford, even though he may have been anti-Semitic in his leanings, like really far leaning, but um, when it came time for the the war production um he ford ford probably stepped up more than more than most manufacturers uh i mean they were they he he took a real personal uh drive to convert his assembly line processing uh, of what was then, you know, later on, you know, because, you, you know, this is 1939. And they were able to build, um, I believe, which one is it? Um, the B, I think the B-24 Liberator? I think is what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. The B twenty four Liberator. So just to get, so this is what Ford was able to produce, in in just. So he was able to produce three hundred and ninety thousand tanks and trucks. Two hundred and seventy thousand jeeps, eight thousand B twenty four Liberators, and then of course parts for guns and gun mounts and stuff like that. But I mean, have you ever, Matt, have you ever seen a B-24 in person? No, I haven't. Which, which one is that? Is that the one with the, uh, with the gunner that sits in the little bubble underneath and is like in the belly of the airplane feels kind of exposed. Well, well, most of them are like that. Um, uh, hold on. Yeah, I, I, I don't hold on. I'm trying to remember if it had a belly gun on the Liberator or not. But it's, but it's that sort of style, isn't it? Is it not? Or um, is it just purely? No, I, I think. So it was it was after the B-17. Um, no, 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 no. Sorry, it was it was before the B-17. So the B-7. Oh, dadgummit. It better be after numerically, especially. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's yeah. So so it's Sorry, it, it was, it was after, yeah. It was after the B seventeen, um, but they um, no, they did not have belly turrets. They had they had top turrets, but they did not have belly turrets. Okay, so essentially, it was it was a it was a bomber that was not completely helpless. On its own, like it has some defense mechanisms. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but they were able to produce. I mean, but I mean, the fact that you're able to produce, you know, eight thousand of those things, on top of producing three hundred ninety thousand tanks and two hundred seventy thousand jeeps. And this this is a war that went on for less than four years. Yeah, our involvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah we I didn't mean, the, yeah, the, until nineteen forty one, and it was do yeah, and it was over by nineteen forty five. Yeah, the American and it was December of forty-one, to make it even more emphatic. Yeah, so the, yeah. the American effort was less than four years long, and he and he put out all of that equipment. Yeah, they they essentially, yeah they they essentially stopped automobile automo 
automobile production almost entirely. I mean, they, they, they still made some. But yeah, but for the most part, everything was, you know. And and, and before anyone starts, starts, does that clever thing where you think, well, wait a second, what's Ford doing making Jeeps? Well, the word Jeep came out in the 1940s and it was its general purpose vehicle or GP, which became Jeep. So yep. the, the Jeep Corporation didn't exist prior to World War II or even during World War II. No. It was something that uh, came along later. Yeah, so it was originally designed. So the contract was won by Willys, uh, Willys Overland, um, and Willys Overland. Um, they 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 won the, uh, the the design contest, uh, but they were not able to. Um, they 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 had there was no way in the world that they could produce the the numbers that that the war scale needed, and so they had to turn to. Uh, and it wasn't just Ford. I mean, Ford made the most of them, um, but I believe it was. There Dodge. were two or three companies involved. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Dodge. Such a high demand vehicle. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, okay, so we wanted to get back. One of the things um, that Zach and I were talking about off air was, was about critical decades in Ford's history, and obviously, nineteen, yeah, call it oh five to fifteen, I think we decided was. Rough, roughly turn of the 20th century was was a obviously a critical decade in, in, in Ford's history and the second one was post-World War II? Yeah, post-World War II I mean, you know, during during the late 40s and into the 50s you know, you had Ford kind of battling back and forth with with, uh, with, with General Motors you know, with General Motors for the most part um, you know, you had uh, the Ford Business Coupe, which was very popular, um, but uh, it was uh, <sighs> da, 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 da. yeah. I mean, but yeah, and and then you had the uh, the the Ford Thunderbird, and I believe 1954. I think I am correct in that. The 54 or 52. So the Thunderbird came out, I think it was 52. I think the so. Thunderbird came out in 52, and then the Corvette came out in 54. Or I'm incorrect, that's 54 and 53. But anyway, beautiful. So but, emblematic of the time. Oh my gosh, yeah. So, and, and, and it was funny because the, um, the, uh, the, the Thunderbird came out as a uh, as a challenge to the um, the 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 roadsters of from Europe to to challenge the uh, the Italians and so forth, um, but I, I I think one of the other things that y- you can't get around is um, also uh, until the uh, until the invention of the of the small block Chevy uh, with their with the overhead valves and stuff for probably 20 years and and even today there are still some purists and and if you've ever heard one they have such a distinctive sound uh, and and that's the, uh, the the Ford flathead v8 and and for years the flathead v8 was um the engine of choice if you wanted to uh go out to like bonneville and stuff and and run um you know fast uh you know you know know, land speed records and stuff well yeah i mean that's that that's what all the hot riders put in the 32 ford which is the original the original hot rod vehicle Yep. The one that I have all those parodies of, right? The one where it's the, you got the two front wheels exposed and then the cab that sits almost, almost directly on the back yeah. wheels. Yeah. And, and, if you ever wanna, a 32 Ford. and if you ever want to see a 32 Ford, just go to any like hot rod show or whatever, because there, there are literally probably, or not literally, but probably over a hundred different uh, kit car manufacturers that that make uh, you know kit cars of on the on the 32 Ford style, just because it's so ign- ign- it's 
you know, it's just it's awesome. So um, I think we got to the '60s, don't we, Matt? I think I I think we do. Sixty-one to seventy was was pretty amazing. Um, Yes, it was. No one really talks about it unless you're a fan of the channel regular car reviews, but. But the Ford Falcon, which I believe came as a sedan or as a coupe. Uh, sedan, a... Yeah, sedan, coupe, or a wagon. Okay, thank you. Um, doesn't get enough credit as being the car that underpinned, more or less, the original Mustang. Yep. You know, you had a simple rear drive, leaf spring, you know, you had most of them in line six in the front with a hundred and something horsepower. Um, and then, you know, a two or three speed automatic. And maybe if you were lucky, you had a, a stick shift. But for the most part, it was just sort of a family car. It was just a car. But when Lee Iacocca and his, and his team got that great idea and they put in that amazing body on the Ford Mustang and left everything else alone and then offered the V8 option, that thing exploded. Yeah, well, and I just I, I I love so that that first generation of Mustang, which I mean, if if you're if you're an American with even an ounce of like uh, patriotic blood in you, you love that first generation Mustang. Maybe not for the vehicle itself, but just for that shape. It's, oh, yeah, it's look one at. of the most iconic. Very few cars have an iconic shape to it, and um, I, I think um, the Volkswagen Beetle is one. The first generation Mustang is one, um, and I think the Corvette is one. Uh, the uh, the the Stingray Corvette. But that it's a very short list. And what that Mustang did, that 1964 and a half Mustang, was goodness. I mean, it just, it, it, it blew everyone away. It, it, it took what was, because making a fast car happened before that. People would make and take regular like family sedans and, and stuff and put big engines in them and stuff like that. I mean, the, the, the Barracuda actually predates uh, the Mustang. Um, I think like 62 is when the Barracuda first came out, 62 to 63. Uh, the Corvette was already, you know, kind of a, this fast two-seater car kind of a thing. But the idea of creating this purposeful sports car but had two rows of seats and then the fact that you could put a large engine into it um and then carol shelby got involved early on um and we talked about this in uh, in the whole thing with uh, ferrari which was uh, enzo ferrari pissed off henry ford ii Henry Ford II basically went to Carroll Shelby and said, hey, here's a blank check. Go beat them. And then all of a sudden, they, they just kind of got this relationship together. Um, one, of, one of my automotive highlights of, of all time was being able to drive a, a 67 Shelby GT500, uh, which was one of the actual – because halfway through 67, they, uh, they shifted production. Because what they used to do is they used to take – um, the, uh, the Mustang bodies out of the Ford factory and send them to the Shelby factory in California. And then they were basically, you know, made into, you know, either GT three fifties or GT 500s, whichever one. And then they were sent out to the thing. And then halfway through 67, all that production went to the Ford plants <clears throat> or the Mustang plant. It was just kind of another assembly line off to the side. Um, but it was both exhilarating and extremely terrifying 
all at the same time because this was one of the last ones that actually came out of the Shelby factory. Um, so at the time that it was for sale at the place I was working at, it was one hundred eighty thousand dollars was the was the sale price. <laughs> and uh, incredible, yeah. And so, you know, it's just. The thing that the Mustang did that no car had ever done before is it captured people's it simultaneously captured people's imagination. It was it 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 could also be mind-bogglingly fast at the time. Yeah. And the car. You saw everyone from secretary to hot rodders to an executive weekend car to you name it. They were everywhere. I mean, it was like, it was like the like the compact crossover it is today, but it was from one company. You know, I don't have sales numbers for you, but the numbers are absolutely the numbers are so extraordinary that if you have a good condition '60s Mustang today, that's just a coupe, not a fastback, even if it's a four-speed, even if it's a 289, it's not really worth very much because they well, are. I, I can actually give you sales figures. So let, let, me, let me just give you an idea of how popular this thing was. In 1964 and a half, so only six months, uh, it, when it was released, it sold 121,000. In 1965, the next year, they sold... Five hundred and fifty-nine thousand. Wait, the year after that, in nineteen sixty-six, they sold six hundred and seven thousand. So in two and a half years, <laughs> yeah, that's what's what's that? That's over over a million, about a million and a half cars. Yeah. So in two and a half years, do you know how many yeah. automotive executives today would kill to have a car introduced, brand spanking new, and in two and a half years sell a million and a half cars? That's how money hand over fist. Because again, this is it was just a rebodied Ford Falcon that you could have a have a stronger engine option in. Mm -hmm. That's all it was. Yeah. And it was absolutely it was was, your your choice was Cooper Fastback to start with. Eventually they came up with a convertible, but essentially it was Cooper Fastback. Yep. Automatic or manual. There were a couple of options. Um, my grandma had a sixty-eight in dark blue with a white vinyl top with an automatic and air conditioning because she lived in LA and it was, it was a great car, but it was just to us. It was just a car. Yeah. yeah was just, that, that's grandma's car. Oops. Can't, can't drive with grandma today. No room in the back seat for us. Yeah. Well, and, and the Mustang has remained very successful. So my first car that I ever bought by myself, was a 1985 IROC Z Camaro. And I, and I, easy, (laughs) easy. I love that car. Don't make fun of my car. I can make fun of my car, but you can't make fun of me. Anyways. Um, but the one thing that absolutely astounded me is that for years, starting in 1968, when they introduced the Camaro all the way up until about 2002, the Camaro and the Firebird were both a much, maybe not much, but, but were, were a higher performing car. They handled better. They had more power. They were just all around a better performing car than the Mustang. And the Mustang on average outsold them like five to one combined. So if you took the Firebird sales figures and the Camaro sales figures and combined them both together, the Mustang outsold them five to one. 
both. <laughs> Which Mustang, is yeah, the Mustang continues to beat GM today. If the sales figures are, you know, regardless of which one's more powerful or better on the corner or anything else, the Mustang still outsells the Camaro and always has and probably always will. Well, but I, I, I think something has kind of flipped a little bit. So other than the the ZL1 or the Z Z51, the oh my gosh, I need to turn in my seven liter V8 from the old, from the uh, last version. Oh no 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 the 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 latest Camaro that's just absolutely freaking bonkers. The old one one LE. Thank you. Good. <laughs> I'm telling you, right. Zach it's does late. the history, Matt does the new stuff. Yeah. So anyway, anyways, folks, I'm sorry. It's 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 been a long day. Anyways, but yes. So other than that, which is just an action, was it's it's an absolute track beast of a car. Uh, the on average, I would say that the Mustang trim level for trim level with very few exceptions the Mustang actually outperforms the Camaro now well you know and, and once you get into the upper echelon too it's it's well okay as as a base car for a practical point of view just an everyday you know Joe average car the, the Camaro is almost unsafe the windows are so small the design is somewhat polarizing and it's it's fine. It's, it's a decent car. I'm not saying the Mustang is all that great, but when you get to the upper level, especially, there's nothing that sounds like a Mustang. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Mustang... VM. What's up? The Plane Crank V8. The GT350 that revs to 8250. And so... For, for a... For a, for a, a a V8 that is not for racing, that's insane. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That... Camaro, Camaro has no answer for that car. And especially with those, those amazing carbon fiber wheels that I think, I think are an option on the base model, but are standard on the R. Those things are amazing by themselves. Yeah. Sheesh. I mean, it's just so, but yeah, I mean, so, but all of that started in 1964 when when they when they unveiled the Mustang. <clears throat> I mean, uh, I, I mean, I mean, just just imagine you're sitting there and you're you're at this this auto show and you're seeing all of these just, you know, boxes. And that's all that, you know, that's all that everything else was not, not a whole lot had much style to it. And then all of a sudden you see this thing with this long hood, short back end. I mean, anyways, you know, other than, other than some exotic stuff, you know, from overseas and everything, that's it was just amazing. Um, and then I asked the the sort of the sixties, as we'll call it, right? We're gonna then you had the emissions thing in the seventies. We're gonna skip all that. So uh, yeah, I think skipping the seventies and the eighties, I think, is okay. Yeah, and then things took a big change for Ford. I mean, the, okay, we're gonna. Let's, I'm going to keep this really simple here. Ford is, if not single-handedly, mostly responsible for the rise of the pickup truck as a, as a privately owned, non-commercial, everyday kind of a vehicle that people would use to go places. Okay, so moving on to the 90s on the Ford Explorer. Well, hold on. Because you, you, <laughs> you, you, you can't just throw the F-Series pickup truck like that. Yeah, I can. I just did. Well, sorry. Okay. Anyways, the 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 dominance of the F series pickup truck is legendary. 
first off, it's been the number one selling truck in the United States, and I think in the world, for the last 40 years. 40 years. To put it, to, to put it into perspective, <clears throat> and, 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 I, and, and I looked at this la- like, like last year sometime. If you took the total production numbers in 2015, the total production numbers for all automobiles sold in the United States, not just trucks, but every single automobile sold in the United States, 62% of that pie is an F-Series pickup truck. That's incredible. That is not something you can just simply brush aside. (laughs) Because the success and the dominance and the foundation of the F-Series pickup truck is what gave rise to the Explorer. And then that transitions into what Matt wants to talk about. <laughs> well, and that's, it's not, okay, fair. It's not so much that I want to talk about it, as much as, it is that, as much as it is that it, it cannot, as much as you cannot ignore the dominance of the F-Series, you cannot ignore the fact that the Ford Explorer is largely responsible for the number of SUVs on the road today, 30 years later. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Right. It came out, I don't know when the Ford Explorer came out. I frankly don't care at the moment. But you had a car that was a vehicle that was based on a ladder frame, based on a pickup truck, was so popular, Ford actually made a two-door version that some people bought. They made a thing called the Explorer Sport Track, which essentially was a, imagine if somebody took a Honda Ridgeline, the current model, and shrunk it. it looked kind of like that. Yeah, it's very kind of odd. Um, and then they just kept making them, and the, and the, even through the Firestone issue, where they where they blamed Firestone for the rollovers, and and Firestone blamed you know blamed the manufacturing for the rollovers, and it was probably a combination of both. Yeah, Ford right blamed Firestone. Firestone blamed Ford. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. yeah, it was probably the fact that you had this this twisty you know unstable ladder frame, and the fact that you had sidewall technology that wasn't up to snuff yet. And the thing would roll over if you pitched it hard. It is yeah. what it is. Um, th- but the thing, the thing that gets me is, it wasn't until the current generation of Explorer, which uh, you, would you look at it for me, see when the current gen came out? I know it's been a little while. Until the current gen Explorer, it was always a body on frame. When everybody else was going to a, to a unibody, to a true crossover. This thing was still body on frame and people were buying them up like they were going out of stock. Do not understand. I do not understand the mentality behind that unless it's just people who had an F-150 in their, in their garage and said, you know what, I'm buying a Ford no matter what. If the little lady wants herself an SUV, I'm getting a Ford. That's all I can figure because it was never been the superior vehicle. You compare it against any of the Japanese crossovers, it had less room in the third row. It had less room behind the third row. It was less efficient. It, you know, the technology was almost always out of date. They didn't exactly last a long time. Oh, and there's a new class action lawsuit brewing. Uh, I don't want to speak out about this, but about carbon monoxide leaking into the cabin of the, the current gen explorer. That looks like it's going to go a very long way in court if these uh, if these consumers have their way. And I'm, I'm not disparaging Ford. Things happen. Manufacturing goes wrong. It happens to everybody. But if, if yeah. this gets a bunch of press, it's not going to look good for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least that's a slow killer instead of, you know, Takata airbag, which explodes and sends shrapnel into your face. Which doesn't kill you. It just really sucks. And it just figures you, you know, for the rest people of have, Several people have died from... Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's a little. I think it's a little over thirty people have actually died from from the Takata well, airbags. When I understand most of them live in hot and humid states, which you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, but uh, so in answer to your earlier question, uh, two thousand and eleven. Current Gen Explorer. 
Yeah, yeah. So the current gen it's Explorer twenty twenty, I believe, is the it's the gonna be the second gen crossover, but it's going to move to a rear wheel drive bar biased architecture. Which good luck with that. I hope it goes well for them. I don't know how they're gonna pull it off, but okay. Well, I mean and and you know, and you also have Ford has now announced also that they're building a, a plug-in hybrid and a fully electric version of the F-Series pickup truck, which I can't imagine would not also translate over to the Explorer. Oh, it has to. Absolutely. And let us not yeah. forget that with the death of the Crown Vic, the Crown Victoria, which was the police car choice for years... Ever. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, at the very least since the mid '90s, you know, when General Motors yeah. quit doing the Caprice. Yeah, at least that far. Back. <clears throat> and even then, and I know this is going to piss off some of the Caprice and and the Impala owners and stuff, but when Ford came out with the the, the Crown Victoria Police Interceptor even though it had a smaller engine, a less powerful engine, it was a much better balanced and handling car than the Caprice. The Caprice was just all power and it didn't handle worth a darn. Um, and now you have the, the, the Ford Explorer police interceptor, which, you know, it, 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 it I've heard that it, it handles roughly the same as the old Crown Victoria, which means, you know, <laughs> kind of a... The, the other thing, the other dirty little secret about that um, Explorer Police how did, Hold on. Uh, how, how did somebody... Uh, I heard somebody say it one time. Uh, it was a uh, handling designed by... Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So the dirty little secret about the Ford Interceptor uh, Explorer Interceptor, is that most police departments, most anybody who's who's buying that vehicle, most of them are buying the base model, which has a naturally aspirated V6 engine making south of 300 horsepower. Yeah. Which means you've got a car well, do you that's lined up with all the extra durability stuff, all the crash guards, all the electronics, all the radios, it's probably pushing 5,000 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. And you're giving it 280, 90 horsepower? 240. And... Oh my God. Seriously? Horsepower with 270 pound feet of torque. Oh, so... oh. Because if they were buying the EcoBoost three and a half liter V6, that thing would be 400 and something horsepower and they'd be just fine. But they're not. So anybody who wants to, I know you can't outrun a radio, but you can outrun one of those. No. Yeah. Well, and, and police techniques have, I mean, I mean, let the reality is, is that the, the era of high speed of, uh, of high speed chases is essentially gone. I mean, there, there's, you don't really have high speed chases anymore. Um, just because of the fact that it, it's become a liability, they've they've realized that it's just so dangerous <clears throat> to everyone involved. You know, the, the officers involved, um, you know, people involved. That you know, getting air support coming in, getting you know, getting better uh, better trapping techniques for the individuals and stuff like that. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, you know, if, if you're a criminal and you're in a car and all of a sudden you see a cop and you take off, all of a sudden you don't see that cop anymore. You calm down and you start looking for a place to pull over and hide. And that's, it's easier to get you then than it is if you had just kept driving, you know, you know out on a freeway or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a very good point. Yeah, so, so power doesn't really kind of come into play, but no, I, I agree with your point that that the next generation needs to have a have a bit more oomph for the weight. <laughs> so, 
the thing the thing we need to talk about too the one that's, it's and and frankly as a news story I think it's blown up way more than it has any right to, but um, is Ford's I hate to use this word it's it's such a clickbait but it's their remarkable decision I was going to say radical but that that's over overstating it their remarkable decision to discontinue all their passenger vehicles so the only car they have left is the Mustang and everything else is a crossover a pickup truck. And I don't blame them. No, not at all. Because the because outside of the Japanese, and even there, I mean, you know, I mean, you can look at Camry sales and Accord sales and Civic sales and Corolla sales, and that'll tell you everything that you ever need to know about the 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 most likely fate of sedans in the next ten years. Well, just look at Altima and Centra sales that aren't going to fleet customers, aren't going to rental cars. Are are there sales that aren't going to fleet and rental car companies? Exactly. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> well, most, okay, most of the ones that aren't are going to Uber and Lyft. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, Uber and Lyft drivers. Poor, poor people. Anyways, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't, blame Ford at all for that I mean you know the other than you know other than fleet sales which were actually declining mm-hmm. yeah. you know with the you know with the focus um and the uh and, and the fusion um which is kind of sad because the fusion was a decent car I'm not gonna say it was a great car but it was it was a decent car the first gen looked awesome. It was great looking. Yeah, it did. With that Aston Martin almost kind of grill to it. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. I remember seeing one and going, ooh, I kind of like that. <laughs> the, the problem was that that body and that front end especially were, were, were writing checks that the rest of the car couldn't cash. No, that's true. But, you know, but I mean, over time, you know, Ford, and even if you look back, you know, in its history, Ford is, you know, with, you know, with sedans has just not been that successful. So to they don't make good ones. They simply don't have enough focus on quality to make a good vehicle. I mean, the Focus RS that everyone's raving about just a year or two ago, those were all being made in Frankfurt because the Frankfurt German factory was making really good quality product. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, but, but, I, I, I don't blame them at all. I mean, to SUVs and, and if, and, and if th- those who are listening, if you really want to kind of get an idea of the world of SUVs, look to one of our, one of our first podcasts, actually, I think it was like the third one uh, that was called uh, the SUV era, which basically says, I mean, SUVs have become better handling. They've become quieter. They've become smoother riding and almost as fuel efficient as the sedans that they're basically replacing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Ford with, you know, the new edge, which is a pretty decent car, the Explorer, which is a really good car, a really good SUV, um, you know, focusing everything on that. Now, of course they have some missteps like the, the EcoSport. Is that what that little thing is called? Yeah, the subcompact SUV. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just yeah. I mean, it's not as it 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 reminds me of a uh, of of the first time I saw a a smart four two. And uh, I just I just remember looking at it, going, "There's there's no way in the world that that is a real car." And uh, and I was right because uh, the, the 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 new Smart 4.2, one of their one of their big features that they have now is a crossed wind assist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, I mean, I'm not gonna buy a car that needs a feature called cross wind assist. <laughs> well, to be fair, the Volkswagen Beetle could always have used a cross wind assist too. Oh was- my gosh, that is so true. I had a '72 Super Beetle. <laughs> That I drove for three years, and I would I would have to almost completely do like a half turn of the steering wheel if I drove around a semi. 
because <laughs> the the wind coming off the front of that semi. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, I mean, but you know, I just Ford. Ford has just been this little engine that could, you know. I mean, it 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 took the 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 tenac you know the the tenacity and the organization abilities and just the forward thinking mindset of, of Henry Ford and and it's just been passed down through his family and and to this day even though Ford is a publicly publicly traded company um, and the family doesn't have a majority share. Um, family still retains um, the majority voting rights within the company, um, and and I think one of one of the best examples of Ford's forward thinking ability um, has to come with the the two thousand eight automotive financial crisis where General Motors had to declare bankruptcy, uh, Chrysler had to declare bankruptcy, Chrysler was bought out by Fiat, General Motors um, you know, came crawling on their hands and knees to the US government, who I personally think stupidly gave them money to, to, you know, to, to, to help save themselves from themselves. And, and Ford, thought about it just a brief second and then said you know what no we've got it we'll tighten our bootstraps we'll you know we'll figure out how to do it they they sold off uh jaguar and land rover to tata motors uh they sold off uh, uh volvo and and they kind of you know and they closed down mercury which was essentially just a, a repeater of whatever the Ford was. So it wasn't really doing anything for them anyways. Um, and, and they did it. They made it through. Uh, they got into the black, I think, faster than any of the others. Um, and I think on the backside of it they have become a much stronger company and i think one of the perfect examples of that is the 4gt the new 4gt which is purposes just an absolutely amazing vehicle and, and i think ford just has I, I i don't see them i don't see anything stopping them in the future yeah, no, the future definitely looks bright for them. That's that's for sure. I mean, you know, they took a huge risk with their core dem- with their core shopping demographic when they put an aluminum body on the on the F one fifty on the F series, right? And it worked. It paid off. Yeah, people went for it. Um, are there other cars that I would rather drive that cost a half million dollars rather than the Ford GT? Yes, because it's a homologated race car and drives like a homologated race car. Uh, if Zach and I were to sit in it, I would literally have my elbow in his lap. Um, and, but you know, it's it's an incredible piece of engineering, and it's it's Ford at its best, really, in, in that respect. You know, and especially when they came back and I, I want to say they went one, two, three in, at Le Mans in their in their class. Um, yeah, just, the, yeah, I, I believe on the anniversary of their Le Mans win of the original GT40. Yeah. Correct, 50th anniversary. Yeah. Um, but j- just just amazing stuff. So all they have to do is just keep it up. I mean, because, you know, the the, uh, the GT, yeah, the current GT was a, was a, um, it was a hidden um, Skunk Works project. Yes, it was. They weren't uh, telling anyone they were doing it. Uh, as was the, uh, the Raptor. That's right, yeah. yeah and and bringing, honestly, bringing, bringing the Ranger back, brilliant. I mean, they, they yeah. took a look at what the Tacoma was doing. They took a look at the Colorado, and they said, "Hey, we can do that too." The problem is the Ranger, as it sits now, it's it's it not to be redesigned. The quality product that they need. 
Yeah, it, it needs to be redesigned. They 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 should have waited. They either should have waited for the redesign of of the Ranger overseas, or they should have just initiated a redesign. Like right, so, I, for the American I, I I think this first generation American, or not not first generation, but the, the, this generation of 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 Ranger in America will be short lived, and we will soon see a next generation <laughs> fairly shortly. And and the other thing is, it's it's a bit of a marketing move, but Chevy did it too. But bringing the Bronco back uh, now, the whether it's a mistake or not, that. Chevy brought back the Blazer and essentially made the Blazer into a lifted Camaro with four doors. Whether that's a mistake or not, it remains to be seen. The market will speak for itself. But but the Bronco needs to be off-road. It essentially it needs to be a Ford Edge with some huevos. Yeah. You know, a, a, a vehicle, car, truck, whatever you want to call it, that really can go up and over stuff. A, a car that can at least on the surface, compete with the, with the Toyota 4Runner because right now the Toyota 4Runner is the only midsize SUV that's a body-on-frame, true off-road capable vehicle. And they've got that market cornered. It's well, a big market. You, uh, if, if, if there's any company that can do it, it's, it's, it's a company yeah. that invented the Ford Raptor. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Which you is... Know? I, I, I think if you if you had to point to a single vehicle that was the most American vehicle sold today, I I don't think you can go to anywhere other than the Ford Raptor. Yeah, so especially the first gen because you know, Americans still have a soft spot for V8s. Gas mileage be damned. Yeah. So. So anyways, I, I think we're going to end there. Any any final thoughts, Zach? Oh, you know me, Matt, with thoughts. I avoid them like I can. You know, they, they, they come in your head and leave just as quickly. Absolutely. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. All right, guys. Uh, we managed to skip all the, uh, all the classic Ford jokes tonight, so we're going to leave those yeah. for uh, a different podcast. But uh, yeah. it's been a pleasure. Wherever you will, uh, find yourself either on-road or off-road. <laughs> Moving on. MZ Car Guys, all the social media, mzcarguys at gmail.com. See you guys yep. next week. Room, room, everybody.